Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and my guest today is Paul Unbehagen, CTO for North America at Nokia. As you will hear, Paul has a deep history in the networking world, so he approaches his role at Nokia from the perspective of many different things in the telecom industry, including being a network engineer. Our main topic in this conversation is enterprise cloud and right-sizing cloud utilization. But we use that as a springboard to really get into many topics about the state of networks in 2023. We touch on the history of the enterprise's move into the cloud and why some companies have reevaluated their cloud strategy in recent years. We frame this in part in the fuel versus friction concept of understanding where to add and where to subtract in an enterprise's cloud strategy based on specific application and compute needs. We touched on, as I often like to, the geography of the cloud and Paul's take on location and design in cloud services. This also brings us to discuss the edge, not only what it means and where it is, but some of the new and exciting use cases of what edge computing can facilitate for enterprises and other customers. Embedded in that conversation, of course, is 5G and how mobile can push the network into being a central part of the business case. Finally, we can't miss bringing up AI ML into the conversation and talk about the impact of artificial intelligence on the network and cloud strategies, both from the flood of bandwidth demand that it promises to bring and the capabilities that can add to the way that we manage networks and DevOps. Paul and I had a great time in this interview getting to pull back a bit and wax philosophical about how networks and cloud have changed and what that could mean for the future. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks. Nice to be here. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining me. So, uh, Paul, I always like to start out the show with um, the guest introducing themselves. So I figure if you could give us a little bit of background on yourself and then some uh, idea of what you do at Nokia. Uh, Sure. That's a a long and winding road. Um, So background, I would say, is like I've been a uh, a member of research and development working on Ethernet switching data center campus. Uh, WANs for quite some time, um, about four dozen patents and different networking technologies from MPLS to Ethernet to um, uh, one of my fun times was actually in the original Fabric uh, discussions. I think people call it the Fabric Wars. It was very friendly, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. Uh, where we were debating SPB versus Trill. We first came up with the term Fabric. Um, as well as that, I've been a PLM, a PLM leader, um, developer, um, <laughs> CTO of Big Switch as well. I mean, I've been a lot of different places doing a lot of different things all around Ethernet standards. I was an IEEE contributing editor for a while too as well as mm-hmm. part of the, you know, the functional work. And ITF member, I've got a few ITF drafts out there. So yeah, it's been a meandering road of fun and excitement and networking. So so uh, definitely able to have you help us pull back and, and really look at uh, networking from, from the broad perspective. So that's excellent. Absolutely. And then what are you up to these days at Nokia? 
Uh, today, I am uh, the CTO and engineering leader for the enterprise division for North America for Nokia. Mm -hmm. um, most people probably don't even uh, realize that we, we actually we have an optical business, you know, larger in size, I think, than Sienna. Then you know, we, have, we compete with Juniper. We're like number one or two in routing and edge. Um, we're in every one of the, the you know, web scales. You can do Google searches for press releases with us. Uh, and all of the uh, contributing work we've done with pretty much every one of the brand names. And as well as you know, lots of the, the national and global you know, web providers that exist in the world. So we do a lot of work in a lot of different places. So I, mm -hmm. I act as a CTO and engineering lead for a lot of those projects as we're uh, looking you know, throughout North America and also with the other teams as whole. So gotcha. customer function and you know, R&D help and where product goes, stuff like that. No, no more indestructible handsets though, right? Yeah, no more indestructible handsets. Although if you like that, you're really going to like our routing because it's well known for being indestructible. Right. Pretty much if you're using the internet, you're on one of our BGB routers. Well, right? it's, uh, you know, Finland is unkind to electronic equipment, I imagine. Right? So the DNA <laughs> is all there, right? So. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people also don't know is like we still have Bell Labs, still getting uh, Nobel Prizes, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there's a, a large innovation you know, division that is the way we kind of look at the world here. We, we, we lead on innovation engineering yeah, and how to solve real world problems. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, our, our topic for today, Paul, is is broadly around cloud, especially enterprise uh, networks and, and how that relates to cloud. And so I, I think it's really interesting to get your perspective from the, the telecom equipment sort of side rather than the maybe service provider MSP kind of side um, on, on what you are seeing in that market. Yeah, I'll probably give an opinion like from a much broader perspective than that. From like the, the mm -hmm. history path that we just talked about there is like, I think cloud has been exactly. a very interesting term that I've seen evolve in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And it seems like everyone has a very, very strong opinion. And the strength of that opinion usually is in absolutes, right? Right. Um, no one seems to actually want to give a little here or there based on the idea that every every person's cloud journey is oftentimes very unique in of itself, right? Not everybody's mm -hmm. going to have the Netflix journey. You know, not everyone's going to have the 37 signals, you know, journey. So right. on either end of that spectrum, what do you do with your, your view? But I think as I watched everybody from healthcare to manufacturing to, um, God, you name it, refining, you know, like you could think of like all the industries types as well as the financial types. All of them are trying to go towards a cost savings and really about a simplification, like a running towards ease. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like the idea of the line of least resistance, right? Right. The belief system is like, I, I, and I completely understand this, is that as a developer, you want the easiest way to develop something. You want the tools to be streamlined. You want everything to be you know, fast and easy to get out of your way to develop the application you need. Because ultimately, as a developer, you're measured on the application performance right? Right. and its ability. So a lot of the, the drive towards cloud was, I think, a lot of this idea that you know, by doing this, we're going to be able to be faster, more pliable, and it, we're going to save a ton of money. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I even to throw myself under the bus and my networking brethren, you know, I think there was a large belief in application teams that uh, the networking teams are just too slow as well, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And you know that there might have been some truth to that. Like given the way that we are very conservative, we want to make sure that the the highway system we call a network is completely reliable, never falls apart, right? Always, you know, five nines kind of reliability or four depending on your environment. Doesn't always, you know, mash up well when you're an application developer who's trying to get something out fast and do some very, very fast iteration on developer, you know, multiple commits a day, for example, in some of the largest websites. Well, there's so, there's a powerful incentive to not get the call at, at 3 a.m. that, uh, you know, APAC is offline, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah I, I've been on that, that end of the uh, of the business as well as a customer myself, right? No one wants to carry, uh, I can actually say I've carried a beeper, right? 
right. to, to age myself is working in ops too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so the upshot there is that the the enterprise cloud journey was was driven by this like hope for ease, this hope of of uh, lowering some of the 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 friction, if you will, and getting lower costs. How did that work out? Well, you know, to keep waxing, uh, you know, philosophical here, the um, it's a similar path as I've, I've noticed a lot of trends in networking. And I don't think we're unique in networking, that is, to many other industries, whether it's tech or non-tech, is you see, you watch this oscillation of the pendulum go back and forth where it follows the, you know, the hype curve. Mm-hmm. And so many people ran into it so fast and so heavy. Um, and oftentimes they were pulled into it like a black hole, you know, pulling with the gravity of it as well. And I think a lot of them struggle with the idea of like, okay, how are we going to move it up there? How are we going to move off of the on-prem data? Yeah. I started hearing people start referring to the traditional teams as the legacy teams, you know, having a condescending term to it. Right. Um, you know, and it, while everyone's just simply trying to get the job done and move forward, you know, it's a lot of work actually to move the cloud, a lot more than what I think people expected it to be. Mm-hmm. I think what really shocked a lot of people were the cost structures of it as well, because right. they weren't. You know, there's a lot of glee when you're running into that pendulum of a, like all in on something. And I watched this next 25 the frame. Really, I watched it token ring to Ethernet. We watched it from like um, all those services into MPLS, or like we were watching it into Fabric. Like every time there's a new wave, everyone bum rushes it basically. Right. 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 What I thought was the most interesting about it, this is one of the first times where I've ever had CFOs telling me, you know, in very mm-hmm. aggravated voices, you know, was this really worth it? One yelling about it being a uh, Reminding them of being in the 80s and getting cell phone bills that were numerous pages long that they could they kept losing and couldn't understand a single line. And it's unpredictable in that sense, right? That's one of the you know, absolutely like, yeah that that, uh, that that you're used to with things like compute and network there being a a bill that you anticipate mm-hmm. every month, right? So yeah, you're not used to that strong of a variable cost in right. the bottom line, right? You're used right. to a very strong static line of cost, yeah, for sure. I, and I think. Sorry, go ahead. Things changed. Like as mm-hmm. they were watching these things kind of come in and like move, like it started testing a lot of people's resolve and uh, about what should they move, how should they move. Right. But I also think there's there's a large value in it. Like nobody should run email anymore. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. as an example, like polarized functions, like don't run email anymore. But maybe right. some things you should, you know, think about the balancing function of it. What were you about to say there? Yeah, that you know that that is really interesting as a concept of thinking through that sort of if it, we were all in on cloud for every possible application for every kind of compute every kind of um, development, uh, but that you're saying it it should really be thought through on kind of a, a use case basis within the enterprise. Yes, I also think that there's another analogy I think I like to use is like um, something I've been kind of bouncing around with a few people over the last few years is is and I think we're starting to get there as a whole industry, but the idea that like somehow cloud always became this location. Mm. And cloud's not really a location, right? Cloud yes. is a design principle. Right. right, right. And location of it as well is something that's got to be understood here too. So I mean, if, we're, if we're talking among the brethren of like IT, all the people that exist within our industries, we would understand that you know, just inherently. But I think a lot of people, we're a very small niche group and a lot of people in, really, in our own industry realize like how small mm-hmm. we actually are in mm-hmm. the community. But there is this natural inclination to imply or incline to think that, oh, well, I've got cloud, you immediately think of, okay, which cloud provider are you in? Right. Oh, where are your servers at? Which colo are you in? Things like that. And it's really a combination of everything together that actually Mm -hmm. makes the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Including the application maybe on the mobile device and how it's communicating and probably is going to start running algorithms because AI starts growing more and more. We push AI directly into the device. All of this is going to interact, right? As the new user interface. 
mm-hmm. as it kind of evolves out of it. And that's going to require us looking at this in a completely different way. And I think that drove a lot of things, you know, like, um, uh, I guess you could kind of look at it as like, if you're looking at doing taxes once a year, right? Do you want to keep everything in one central location or do you want to wait for that time when taxes income and slowly start to distribute down to the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? The front end systems and then the back end systems and the application systems as well, in a more distributed manner out from, you know, central place, but you don't need to necessarily keep it there all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. nice flexibility about, you know, air quote cloud, right? It's the same thing we watch with 5G. 5G, most people don't really understand, um, unless you're close to the fold here, is that it's actually a cloud application. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you mean by that exactly? Yeah. So 5G is, a, is, a, is I think, one of the most epitome of, of being a cloud app. It's very much like if you were to take the, the labels off a of cloud architecture from one of the like the major streaming services or probably any app in every enterprise that's distributed out from you know one of the cloud providers down, um, the 5G infrastructure is all still containers. It's Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. It's all of the same networking management systems, right? It's all the uh, the same compute management systems, the storage management systems, and the flows. Every bit of it is actually architected. We have cloud developers inside Nokia constantly developing. Right. A lot of the applications, we call it, they're now applications, what used to be in these massive base stations. Right. right? Like, and they're now, they're, they're containers. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it's made it far more flexible. Right. So you can find yourself a, like an edge computer, for example, where you have a cloud infrastructure driving down infrastructure for you know, mobile devices who are then running cloud services on top of that. Completely right. transparent. Right. Right. And that kind of gives us this kind of weird position is we're both a, um, an arms dealer and a superpower at the same time. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Because the same thing we build to run it, the same networking switches, the same top of rack switches, the same you know core routers we sell into you know the major providers are the same ones we use to deploy that 5G cloud. So it's all mm-hmm. it's all the same thing. Right? Very interesting. Yeah. And, and maybe we'll touch on that a little bit later when, when we talk more about uh network geography and the edge. But right now I want to kind of circle back to to the general concept that, that you were touching on here, which is just enterprise cloud repatriation, right? So having gone all in on the cloud as it was developing a decade or two ago, and um, now having to make those decisions about um, what should I keep in the cloud and why should I keep in the cloud. Um, so I just want to get your sort of take first on kind of you know, from an economics perspective, you might think to yourself, well, you know, the, the, the cloud has all these economies of scale that I as the enterprise can't really replicate. Um, why do you think those costs kind of got out of control? Oh, wow. That's a that's another one you could wax philosophically about how to get out of control. Um, yeah. of like a purchasing, I think a lot of the uh, assumptions about where costs were and then the realization of actually how they were structured. Mm-hmm. Um the unawareness of where costs might lie, like what's the most expensive portion of a cloud bill you know, of a cloud deployment when you until you finally get the bill. Um, there's quite a few like the you know, ways you could kind of slice that that kind of question. Mm-hmm. In the, the driver of it, I mean, we we just drove so much into cloud, and you look at like actually like data transitory stuff, storage information, right? Um, I, actually, I think a great way to take this is actually hear it from the horse's mouth. Go look up uh, David Hanemeyer Hansen's uh, you know blog post about how his company was able to solve it. Like, you know, the guy who invented Ruby on Rails talking about his, mm-hmm. you know, startup and how 37 Signals was able to save, you know, tremendous amounts of money. I think they went from like $40,000 a month in Amazon bills down to $5,000 a month. Wow. Yeah. Right? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I think if I remember even X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, did a, a 60% savings as well, right? And that's a mm-hmm. well-documented one anybody can find about how, because obviously after all the stuff, you know, 
about what's going on with Twitter and the structure as, as a business, they wanted to massively reduce their costs. Right. But I think they were spending some like $7 million a day. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, and, and I should say everyone's familiar with what Twitter is, of course. But Thirty Seven Signals was, as I recall, uh, or is, I guess, is is a uh, like a an as a service kind of um, product. Like, um, what do you call it? Uh, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, it's a SaaS offering, right? It's a, yeah, it's, it's a, a SaaS, SaaS offering for project management. That's what the word yeah. I'm trying to think of, right? So, like, um, so so you're saying that. That their their sort of like cloud utilization could be streamlined even while serving their customers with their their as a service kind of products. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's and they're documented themselves, right? So don't take my word. I'm just giving public information that you can right. you can easily Google search for, right? It's it's a very interesting to watch that kind of um, you know cognitive dissonance happen because even for me it was a cognitive dissonance of watching like oh wow that's a much dramatic difference than I even I would have imagined. But I think mm-hmm. too like if we also be careful here about the pendulum swinging back the other way. We're not saying that the idea of like using a cloud provider goes away. Right. It's about like as the pendulum shifts in each direction and that binary one zero, you end up always in every one of these things, you know, somewhere in the middle in the long run, right? Because the right. as you pointed out, the economies of scale, but also the economies of scope mm-hmm, mm-hmm, drag mm-hmm. you down like an anchor to the you know the point. Like I heard someone recently point out like as we're looking at AI networks, for example, never bet against Ethernet. Mm-hmm. You just cannot yeah. get past the economies of scale. It's of it. been there a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like... technologies have tried, and no one has been able to. Like, the, it's because of the cost structures, right? Right, and the reliability. Like, we we built basically everything you could do in a ATM into Ethernet and made it for a cost structure, at, you know, a hundredth of the price. Yeah, and even, kind of an aside, but even even there, a lot of the cost structures that everyone knows how to work with Ethernet, right? So, right, goodness. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah this is one of those things. that's kind of like a. Um, fish and water kind of thing. You know, there's that old joke about two fish swimming up to an older one. The old one says to the young ones, "Is like, you know, how's the water today?" The next frame shows the two fish go like, "What's water?" <laughs> Absolutely, I like that right. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many yeah. of us are living in that kind of uh, that sense of uh, okay, what's what's real and what's you know the functional thing that I just take for granted. Right. And I think that's a, a fair function of what I was trying to get at earlier with my statement about you know what is cloud, right? If it's you mm-hmm. think of it as a design principle it really opens up a whole lot of new possibilities that you don't have to then worry about the economics, right? You can actually start being a little more flexible and modular about things and lower your bills in different ways as, as you know, some of these examples I mentioned have done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, when we were um, talking about uh, this topic ahead of time with, with you and your team, you guys brought up the, the fuel versus friction concept. And I really liked that as a, as an analogic kind of reasoning here that, um, you know, you can add fuel um, and, uh, and, and advance that way, or you can reduce friction. Right. Um, and I think, uh, that's a great metaphor for sort of where the enterprise is and thinking about, um, how do I manage all my workloads and applications in, in the most efficient way possible? Yeah, no, I, I like that analogy. Yeah. One of the members of the team is really great at those, uh, idioms. He's, uh, he's great at it. The mm-hmm. idea of like, you know, providing incentive and, and things that make life easier, that line release resistance is a far easier way of getting things done because then you get a lot of more momentum behind it, right? right. The more friction you end up in a situation or, you know, another people, a form of that friction would be, for example, technical debt, right? right. Or the things that make things hard or the economics of things, things like that, that slow you down and make it more difficult to, to move one way or the other. I think the more mobile and flexible you are, which is the promise of cloud, when you think of it as more of a, that design principle, the more fuel you get, the less friction mm-hmm. you have, right? You're able actually to like have your networking move as fast as your application. 
I think that, right. that's actually one of the things I'm really proud of what we're doing here at Nokia is uh, the reason why we're getting such momentum in a lot of these cloud providers for their infrastructure is because we took everything off the table because we didn't have the baggage of the last 20 years to think about how to run a data center. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things we realized is we were trying to build out things like, for example, 5G being a cloud app is, hey, why do we have to actually look at the switch like a switch just because that's the way we've always looked at it that way? Why don't we look at the switch the same way we look at the server? Mm-hmm. And actually make the entire top of rack, middle row, and end of row, and you know, course, all open source, complete access to the kernel, write your own application, and use complete DevOps tools on everything in the data center, not just the servers. So the DevOps teams can actually have that like that same, you know, productivity gain, and the networking team can benefit it as well, and you can cross feed the uh, the productivity and the skills that you learned. Right. Right. Does that create problems, though, in terms of the network team in, in that, you know, the network team is used to thinking of the network in a certain way and all of a sudden there's new skills, there's new new ways of thinking about um, about what the network is for, really? Not as bad as you would think. I, I think if mm-hmm. we had gone in, like, similar to what we referred to as, like, all in one way, then yes, mm-hmm. we would have caused those antibodies to kind of sp- to, to spark up. But because we're all also ourselves old, uh, you know, CLI cowboys, we right. like our CLIs, but we also like, you know, as a developer, I like being able to program things. So the, the functional approach allows both a CLI and an API. In fact, they're built off of each other. The cool thing too is like, if you don't like a command, it's just a couple of Python statements and you've created your own command right. or chain a bunch of commands, or you can actually like write an application that has access to kernel. If you want to bring BGP and write your own commands for it, you can do that. So you can have your team use a CLI and you are an API or a lot of those other like combinations, you can see how like someone who's developer first versus CLI first, right? Could use mm-hmm. it at the same time in the same box, right? So then you don't end up having those antibodies kind of clash back at you. Right, kind of right, right, right. And it's and a it, nice migration over time. And that might even sort of reduce the the, the siloed kind of friction that, that has uh, been a problem over the years. So, exactly, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you got, you know, I know many good friends who you know, worked in a lot of like IT departments and enterprises as well as carriers where they're not developers by by right, but they can mm-hmm. give you the intricate details onto every bit in a TLV for BGP, right, right? or OSPF or ISIS, right? And but that doesn't mean they're going to be like really keen in, in Python. Well, this is a way that they can actually talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking at these variables or these particular fields in this show command. Well, that show command happens to have an API call. And that a developer can actually easily pull that up and we can pull it up into a knock screen and they can work together, you know, seamlessly in that kind of approach. Yeah, absolutely. Before we go on to the next uh, topic, Paul, just one more thing I want to hit on this is um, a question I often kind of ask at the end of the show, but I, I think it, it fits here in this case of, of given all that you've said, um, what do you think about the the network now as um, rather than just being this cost that you have to have there um, uh, as, as this necessary sort of utility um, towards being more of something that is driving uh, the applications that is driving how we think about even what products the enterprise is is giving to their customer. Yeah, um, this is a again a multifaceted one, right? Because you can you can see this as everything from the mobile connectivity to the wireless, you know, functions like which wireless, for example, mm-hmm. uh, to like how the infrastructure is actually done from the data center into the the MPLS or WAN core, whatever you're running. I think the thing that a lot of people have often seen networking as simply just being a tag along to make it possible to build these apps. But when you start looking at, for example, the security postures, there are a lot of things that exist naturally now within networking that easily help 
the the security posture for everything you might be doing in environment. So I've done research, for example, on IoT, a lot of uh, some papers and stuff we did in the past where if you've got vetting machines, you're worried about being root kitted by, mm-hmm. you know, by somebody in you know, North Korea. Right. Well, how about we actually lock that thing up in a private VRF in the campus all the way back to the data center so that everything is nice and secure and there's no way that anybody could access that. So even if it is root kitted, it can't go anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of analogies you could play in that. But following that, like, that thought pattern further is like everything's going to become a service that's driven automatically. And I think we've seen a lot of this from the CICD kind of approach too, where mm-hmm. commits start driving network changes. So the network is, is a critical component of it and it's a flexible component underneath and along with the compute. Right. So it becomes an equal leg of the stool as compute and storages. Now compute storage and network end up having to be all seamless. The more we move into this ML AI world that people, you know, it's actually been around for seven, eight years. And as mm-hmm. we've, most of us have actually been working on it you know, for a while. It's great to see that the whole world is aware of it now because it brings a whole lot of challenges to make sure that you have very low latent network between right. storage and compute that is highly adaptable and programmable. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, taking a week or even a day to reprogram something is not an idea you can actually like you carry over into this environment. That's the reason why we, we kind of threw away a lot of the old world thinking that, you know, why do we have to think of a switch the way we always did? Why not think of it differently? Networking is is a first-class citizen, I think, in a lot of this. Mm. In a lot of different ways, whether you're talking about the native interface or you're talking even about the tunnel functionality to make it more modular, uh, everything becomes virtualized and everything becomes a, an API. Right. Right. Right, so so that's that's kind of what's driving the the network as code kind of uh, idea. That uh, again, exactly. I've, I've I've seen, uh, you know, out there the the concern that that requires a lot of upskilling and and whatnot, but um, but but also may then reduce friction, even if there's some sort of skill friction, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, and, and you know, given you know the whole telephony or you know telecom kind of view of this thing, I think a lot of things if you kind of step back and look again at a philosophical perspective is. Um, networking helped make voice into an app, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Apps are now forcing networking to become an API. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that is really funny. That's a good way to put it. All right. So, Paul, I also want to talk because this is telegeography, right? So um, we, we always love thinking about um, uh, how geography impacts all of this. And I think that's particularly salient in in cloud in, in some respects. So, you know, mm. our our general research um, sort of uh, is based on the idea that that where you are matters, right? So, so do you think that um, that enterprises in particular need to think about uh, where their data centers are located and where their cloud on ramps are and and how their the cloud uh, you know um, workloads are being distributed rather than just hey, I get my my stuff on the cloud and I don't have to think about that anymore. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um... There's, without a doubt, that, that that quickly like plays out not only from a financial perspective, but even just a um, a functional use of the app, right? Its right. performance, regulatory reasons. I mean, there's there's a plethora of reasons why you need to be considerate of your location and everything you look at here. I like thinking about the uh, the original statement I made a little while ago about you know cloud's not a location; it's a design right. principle, mm-hmm. right? In that very concept there. We do a lot of work with national cloud providers, like in in country, around the world. Um, but even within region, within neighborhood, we have um, hospitals that have to use local colos to get access to, say, a major cloud provider, like to hop onto Azure, for example. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but because of regulatory reasons, you know, that data is not going up in Azure, just some of the compute. Maybe the AIs, you know, from Azure is working on data that's co-located mm-hmm. right there next to the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or if we're working with, uh, you know, internet exchanges too, like those locations into in individual national entities or cities, wherever they happen to be, is a critical component of it. I think, too, as we look at um, what is it, like our interface to cloud mm-hmm. is in our hands, right? And mm-hmm. if Apple gets its way, it's going to be on our eyes. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a critical point of that. Like the responsiveness of that user interface is all about the location where it is. If you've got to travel, like anybody who's been in Oregon more than a day knows what it's like to try and get access to information. That's the other side of the planet, and you wait there for the latency, you know, yeah. spiral, mm-hmm. right? The little mm-hmm. bubble if you're on a Mac, that little spinning uh, wheel. Spinning wheel of death. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. And but that's a, like a natural reaction. You kind of look at it as. As a customer of Starlink myself, it's kind of funny watching as they improve the latency in the uh, in, in Starlink compared mm-hmm. to being on a mobile. Right? You definitely notice the latency aspects of it in the early days. Now they've they've solved a lot of those problems. They're doing great. But you know, looking at like my Verizon phone or my uh, AT&T iPad, I never had those problems. Right? Getting right. same similar speeds. That location function, like I, it definitely affected the way that I perceived you know to even video or calls like this. Mm-hmm. Moss scores, if you're uh, familiar with that old concept, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, it, and it, it's interesting that you bring up Starlink, is that in their case, it, it's it's a it's a very infrastructure oriented change, right? They just got more birds in the air, right? So, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. Add more capacity. Uh, yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, and and but, but you know, it's a, a similar point then with with 5G that um, I'm, I'm not a wireless guy, but uh, as I've always understood it, that that's one of the issues with 5G, of course, is that it's got a much smaller radius around each tower and it has poor penetration. So you could even turn your head and, and lose the signal. So you've, the, the, the operators have had to think about, okay, there's all these cool promises of what we can do with 5G, but ultimately you have to have a totally different tower density. You have to have a mesh network yes. instead of uh, a connection to a single tower and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but then even economies of scale kind of play in your favor there, is because as you need more, you know, more antennas, you need to think about them differently. You end up deploying more, which improves your economies of scale in it. But it's also a big piece of the like, why is it a why is it a cloud application? Because you had to be more modular and flexible to drive down the cost structures of it um, by comparison. Um, I will tell you, like from the latency and the the bandwidth perspective, sitting here in you know Denver, Colorado, in USA, I'm getting near two gig a second on my iPad mm-hmm. right? <laughs> downtown right. on five G. So and I'm you know more than 10 floors above in the air, right? right? It's, it's a great kind of capacity and great speed. That low latency aspect of it as well as, you know, it's great for when we're talking about IOT devices sitting out there in the middle of the, you know, the city collecting data as well, sitting on that, whether it's public or private. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another boom we've watched as well as the private wireless functions on that as, you know, as people trying to drive out augmented reality, which has been something we've actually been working on for quite some time with uh, mm-hmm. like glasses and other environments with Microsoft and a few other providers. It's really cool to watch how that, is all one seamless network without a network in between those, that those goggles and, you know, a knock, for example, they don't really provide much functionality. Right. And, and you're saying that also that, that, you know, something like that, that latency is, is absolutely critical to its absolutely. functionality. Right. Absolutely. Uh, critical. Yeah. If I, that punchline didn't come across the favor of bringing that out, latency absolutely matters when you're trying to look at a HUD and a screen that's on your eyes. Right. right. Exactly. Absolutely yes. matters. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Which, which you know, I think raises a point that I wanted to talk about. I think in, in greater detail, anyway. Which is, you know, we've been talking about sort of the the general concept of going all in on the cloud and then cloud repatriation. But then there's also the sort of decentralization of the cloud, right? So already mm-hmm. we had this complication of of you know sort of what to put in the cloud and and how to do that. But then there's the complication of of not just where to to, to meet my cloud provider. And, and where is my data data stored? But then uh, pushing things out to the edge, what to push out to the edge, and what the edge yeah. is. <laughs> so, yeah. so let's let's start breaking that down. Like first, maybe let's get your take on kind of when you want to talk about edge. What does that mean? Okay, so edge means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So mm-hmm. let's kind of break. I like your, your point there about breaking it down. So if I take mm-hmm. that same latency statement we just made a second ago, I would have exactly the same statement in the data center as I do for the user sitting at the other end of the edge, right? Right. So if you imagine the network is like some kind of con- uh, concentrating circles, you know, moving out like a target, uh, or the bullseye in the center is like the edge is that entire radius on the outside from whether it's the servers connected on one side to the users. Now, edge in a wireless context, as you've probably heard, is the, the MEC, MEC, you know, some, you know, originally called the mobile, you know, edge. So now it's the multi-axis edge, right? right. And that transition in those terms uh, really came about, I think, it was the Etsy standard, right? That kind of called out the point is mm-hmm. like, like edge is far more than simply just the device in your hand, right? right? Like we hinted at it with the goggles, but it's it, far more than that is like it's the IoT stuff out there mm-hmm. that's connecting on these uh, these networks. Um, edge as well, getting the compute, and this is why you'll see you know, companies like Red Hat and HP and others who are very involved in this, you know, standardization as well is that it's about getting that compute really close to those end devices. Right. So you can make you know actionable statements and compute directly on that data, process it, and get it to the users that might be in different places inside your organization, right? In real time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and real time being that real term, real time, right? Not some right. kind of lag of ten seconds or you know or more, because you have low latency. You're trying to measure it in the, in the millisecond kind of run. Yeah. Yeah. So not having to go all the way back to what we think of as a, a proper data center, if you will, Absolutely. even even if that's relatively close. But but um, you know, sort of mech is all about putting that at the the mobile node, maybe at the tower, maybe in some other locations. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, if you look at the future of like solar farms, wind farms, for for energy, for example, as they're doing a lot of work in that. If you're looking at like you know refineries and things like that. There needs to be compute acting live on that information about what's the maintenance. This isn't even new. I think there are several rail companies that are you know, big brand names here in the United States, for example, have been using sensors right there on tracks to actually with with microphones listening to rail cars go by, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, mm-hmm. and by the sound of the wheel, they can predict within two weeks of when it needs maintenance. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah that's drones. exactly what I'm always interested in hearing about is is the the sort of like you know okay that sounds really cool uh, you know in terms of the networking, Greg. What can I do with this? What how does that enable me to 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 be a better enterprise in whatever respect that means? Right. So, right. Yeah. Can you imagine the amount of like productivity gains they gain on that? And the, right. The reduction in maintenance costs because now there's not a, a wheel falling off in flight. They actually pull the car off within mm-hmm. a week or two of it needing its maintenance. Right. If it's not within scheduled times, uh, the idea, like as well, I think one of those uh, well-documented stories is the drones. So, mm. for example, here in Colorado, we have a lot of rail uh, bridges, right? That go across very large chasms. And in the past, there used to be guys on uh, and rappel ropes going down to look at the bridge to make sure it's safe. Now, right. a drone flies down, taking 4K video, and AI is going over the video to see what structural problems might need to be dealt with mm-hmm. and at what time frame. Right. right. That's all done with an on-prem cloud. 
right. in these environments. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's it's a really, really great point you made. There's like, what can I do with this? Because you're not doing it for the sake of doing it. You're doing right. it to, for some kind of like fuel and the fuel mm-hmm. versus fiction you know, right. function there. That yeah. is a massive productivity gain to the point of that, the economics of this thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and gets exactly to to that point I wanted to raise before, where all of a sudden, um, you know, rather than just hey, this is our business model and we need to throw a network under it, it's what what can we change about our business model enabled by these changes in the network? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's talk then about uh, about AI. We, we've you've touched on it earlier, but um, I, I wanted to get in a little more depth. As you say, it's actually been around a long time. It's now kind of hitting um, a, a critical point, I think, where where adoption is uh, is maybe on that on that scale of of hype right now, right? Mm. I've heard a lot of folks on the carrier side talk about um, this primarily in terms of the the flood of bandwidth demand that's going to come with it. Um, wh- what's your take on kind of the impact of of things like Gen I and, and ML on uh, on the network itself? Uh, well, okay. So my personal take on this thing is, uh, is actually I'm kind of excited to see the ways in which we'll use it. And I think, uh, so here in Denver, we had supercomputing this week. So that's a bit why AI is a bit on the top of mind. Right? Oh, Obviously, yeah. that was a big part of you know that kind of conference. Mm-hmm. And the the statement I've heard recently, you know, thrown, thrown around is the idea is like, you know, instead of thinking about it as artificial intelligence, think about it as augmented intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, like imagine a day when you're visiting your doctor and there's AI working with him, so he doesn't have to know every esoteric disease that might exist out there, right. but is working with you know the set of variables from your blood tests, your DNA, and a bunch of other things to customize medicine directly for you with this endless compute function behind him, right? right as his Watson to his Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you take that idea of augmented intelligence and you apply it to the idea of every other uh, space that exists out there, we gave a couple of examples there when we talked about rail cars or mm-hmm. drones with 4K and AI footage. We have actually a project here. We actually have a drone project where we sell to companies and, uh, and governments around the world, right, where the drone is flown by AI. Mm-hmm. That's done right now and it has been for several years, right? Yeah. And of course, what is it that thing's connecting with? It's not doesn't have a wire to it. It right. has a low latency, right? Right. Um, you know, five G connection, you know, up to it. And there's a data edge compute that's running the AI to fly the drone. Mm-hmm. Um now like moving to like what's near and dear to my heart, inside the data center, we took a, a different approach to like what could AI mean to us and I mentioned earlier how we decided to take a new approach to the the operating system on these switches, right? Right. Well, if we're saying it's API driven, well, you know, that means AI can drive the entire switch. Ah, right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we actually wrote a chat GDP interface directly into the CLI. Mm-hmm. Right. So while everything you said a second ago about the growth in bandwidth and the growth in functions, I'm going to give you an example of like how this actually plays out in yeah. a lot of different layers. There will be AI on top of AI on top of AI in a lot of different directions. Right. So if you're sitting on a switch and you're not quite familiar with, uh, what a uh, what a VRF is, for example, you can actually ask it within the context you're in. Say you're in BGB, like, help me write, you know, configure a VRF instance, or I need to do a new IP service. Just you don't even have to know what a VRF is, right? Or because it's been fed with all the documentation mm-hmm. that exists, right, for Nokia's routers and routing and concepts and services as a concepts too, it can respond and talk to you. Right. as an intern would mm-hmm. and it right. will go do what you tell it to do and actually tell you what it's doing or if you're like want to know what's live in your network you can start having a conversation with it about how are the interfaces are we dropping packets right now you can imagine this at a network level too mm-hmm. when you start having appliances that are actually looking across the entire network 
watching and acting as your augmented intelligence within the environment. So you never have to worry about getting a text email. Like, you know, what's the one thing that we all know um, when a network goes down or a switch goes down? So you want to get all of this like dev information right off the router as fast as possible. Right. Right. Well, if you have AI looking at this thing, there's a potential we can end up where it's doing that all automatically in live feeding things, or even predicting when. Imagine that rail car analogy where a wheel's going out. Well, what if we were able to start, you know, predicting when an SFP or a CPU or a memory might have an issue, right? Or that the whole like solar flare concept I used to laugh at, but it actually was a real thing back when we were at MCI WorldCom where solar flares would mess with, you know, obviously routing tables and, and memory, right? There's a well-known thing there. There's a lot of ways you could play around this. So you think about that within the network, how you use it as like, we call it AI ops, by the way. So like DevOps with AI right. ops. Right. It's an extension of that. Now, imagine you've got like researchers out in the field in agriculture. You've got in mining functions, you've got people doing that as well, saying, you know, what's going on here? This A geologist might be working in the field. All of that means the AI is as close to the user as possible. And where AI is, again, like augmented you know, intelligence, is that new user interface. Right. It needs a strong compute right there with you. Mm-hmm. And right. it's going to require a hell of a lot more bandwidth to get back and a low latency bandwidth. Now, what is also interesting is that it also means that the data center that these switches and these servers are connected to, there's uh, most data centers must be realized are still running very old switches. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. That's not necessarily what needs to be there to actually support when you start taking you know, the test and the uh, the training uh, data into a live deployment. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of that has to be like as that as I pointed you know before is that that the three legs of that stool storage, compute, and the network. Because you need to have a very fat pipe that's very low you know, latency between the storage and, the, and the, uh, the compute itself and then back out to the user. And you don't want the, the switches to be the, the bottleneck in that uh, equation, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's, I, I, I like to think of it kind of as since most of us have had this experience of, of um, being in a car that has some amount of, of uh, self-driving capability, at, you know, none of us despite many promises we've heard over the past few years, have a, have a car that will actually drive itself, but you're assisted in it. Right. You know? um, and, and so you, you know, you might have, you, you don't have to regulate your speed yourself anymore and you, you um, are, you know, w- won't be able to veer up into the other lane um, as it, it'll take over. If you do that sort of thing, we kind of think of, of folks driving networks as, as, you know, kind of handing more and more of, of the, the need to drive the network off in a certain sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like that analogy. Yeah. 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 But, and then, like you said, and then, and then in addition to that, handling the, the massive amount of bandwidth that all of these applications for other people are going to take, but that's facilitated right by, by this idea of, of having uh, the, the network engineers be able to pass the, these things on. Um, just w- while we're on that, then what, what, what's your take, Paul, uh, you know, again, this is probably mostly your sort of personal thought on it, but um on the whole network as a service world. So do, do you see that um, uh, as being driven by this as well, the, the need for maybe, you know, bandwidth on demand, the need for, for enterprises to um, have the underlying network um, consumed in a different way, more like cloud? Oh, yeah, I, I think that's that's a natural evolution of this, is that uh, that genie is well out of the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to become just a natural function of breathing in this environment. That's the water to the fish here, if you will. Like, to keep driving all these analogies, right? Um, oh, those getting... I, analogies are so useful for, for these topics, I think. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the idea of showing up and you don't have the ability to, to rapidly 
And I mean, the idea of like calling a method call in a, uh, in a code, right? In Python or something like that, right? In a CI CD function. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have the ability to actually to drive the network there, it, it is a radical change you know, that we're seeing. If you don't have it, it's just going to slow down to a molasses, right. what the application developers need, right? And that, that's just something that's just standard. It's just, you have to take it. It's like trying to say, you know, you're going to buy a house without plumbing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Right. Network as a service is now the way you do it, right? And when you right. see a lie as human beings to kind of poke around like a mechanic under the hood. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. All right, so so Paul, I just um, this has been really fascinating. Um, you, you have a, a, an incredible breadth of knowledge here, so I, it's um, I've been trying to to keep up, and I'm sure everybody else has. But um, I just want to want to close out kind of with with one more question that's that's uh, we touched on before, but I'd like to to get the really sort of philosophical take here is that with your deep experience in this world, including like MPLS and, and the WAN world. I always like to get my my guest take when when this topic comes up on what does it mean to even have a WAN anymore in this world where we're just connecting to edge it's it's just connecting to particular applications cloud is is there a network anymore in the way that we used to think of it as this kind of you know uh, moat and castle kind of concept or is it just more sort of networking is about um, you know applications and and compute and development oh i love that question the way you framed it right because you're, you're calling the question the the references in which you, you look at the world um i think you kind of nailed a, a point that i made in the beginning of the call and you might have done that by design and in a very well uh, well done job applications are the whole point networks exist mm-hmm. the idea that you still have castle and moat is no longer a way in which you can actually see the world. Like the, the point in which we build these data centers and these WANs is to serve applications to make human beings productive. Right. Right. Or in this case, maybe at the point is like you you know, applications are talking to other applications, like IoT streaming data back into a database and something's trying to like pull over that data lake. But the point is you're trying to make things far more productive. And there's been so many promises over the years. And one of my degrees is a business with a focus on macroeconomics too. So mm-hmm. I tend to look at the world very twisted. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Just like, yeah. like productivity per person, you know, there's all these kind of metrics out there. But right. you know, at the end of the day, if you're not making your life easier, and that's all that really, all those little acronyms economists use yeah. is all that, it's, it's a function of like, how do human beings deal with strife and struggle and scarce resources? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yes, WAN and your perspective of WAN is no longer just that core router and what it's doing across the country. Right. It's what is it doing to help the end user at the end of the day, right? Including that that campus switch, that data center switch, that core switch that's doing like as we're working on 800 gig interfaces, you know, we're mm-hmm. deploying those and we're getting in the, in the soon here into the multi-terabit kind of interfaces, and those will be coming soon. Just as an actual expression, why are we working on those? Why is there still strong demand to move from like, how long ago we were just simply talking about going from 40 gig to 100 gig? Right. Now we're talking about 800 gig to 1.6 terabit and things like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, something's driving that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all around us. And I don't see it slowing down. I think one of the best analogies I saw in this too, by the way, it's going to drive that home even more, is if you look at the idea of compounding. Um, here's mm-hmm. where my worlds kind of co- collide. Right. Uh, my uh, economist and my uh, computer scientist background. So compounding is the idea of like doubling, you know, one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16, right? And you look at this, you know, incredible graph of like a hockey stick going up, mm-hmm. right? Kind of a doubling. Well, look at Moore's law. Moore's law is the law yeah. of doubling. Yeah, absolutely. Right? 
from a technology perspective, right, we're on, I think, like chess piece, you know, 32. And if you're looking at the old story, like where the compounding came from, it's like a chessboard. Like you start on, on piece one, place box one and you double to two to four. And by the time you get to 32, you're in, the, I think you're in the, like the hundreds of millions. But by the time you go from 32 to 33, you're in the billions. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. And then when you're in your 40s, you're in the, you know, quadrillions, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That continues to say, like, how you perceive the world in the simplified world of WAN, campus, data right. center, right. Right, is going to go away so radically fast, right, that mm-hmm. it's going to blow by you, you know, like the flash in some kind of Marvel comic right, kind of thing. Yeah, that I, I love. I love that. That's a great way to put it. And and I think especially worth and thinking about exactly the perspective that you brought here that I don't often get, which is that that means that the the switches themselves, right? That, that the whole network has to be constantly replacing to match um, uh, th- this uh, this hockey stick graph, as you say, right? So exactly, yeah. yeah. And you're not going to do that by continuing to think about the world you have today, to, you know, where you need to go tomorrow, by carrying forward everything you did in the past, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. That, that this is too, too rapid of a change, uh, in the world, you know, so, um, mm-hmm. almost the, the singularity of the network. Right? So, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, well, Paul, this was, was a fascinating conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy going back and, and picking all of this out. Um, cause, uh, uh, you, you brought so much information. So thanks so much for, for joining me. How can listeners, uh, keep up with you and, and your work at Nokia? Um, well, uh, I'll admit that lately I have not been as active on social media as I should be. Uh, uh, I know that struggle well. I, and yeah. I do a podcast. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then I don't feel so bad. But yeah, you can follow me on X uh, at PN Mehagen, uh, LinkedIn as uh, Paul Mehagen. You, you know, just look for Nokia Paul Mehagen. Um, you can also follow, you know, usually find me through like the, uh, the Nokia handle or the Nokia Industries handle on all social medias as well. Excellent. All right. Well, yeah, thanks so much for joining, Paul. And, and um, yeah, let's. Uh, Let's uh, keep in touch and and see how all of this develops. Absolutely. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for having me on today. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com and we'll see you on the internet.